Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. I want to jump back into a sermon series we started last week um, called Freedom Now. Uh, how many of you have been in the small groups? Anybody attended the small group this week, the Freedom Now small group? A few of you. There's still chance. There's still time to jump into some of these small groups. What it is is it's a, it's a small group that's, that's continuing um, what I'm preaching on, on Sundays. And so um, I kind of start something. Um, I create... I start a mess, and I create a, a mess, a spiritual mess in, in your mind and in your heart, and, and God starts moving. Well, then the point is for you to go to a small group this week where they're going to further unpack and, and develop uh, what God is saying to us about freedom. I believe that this is the year for us at City Chapel, that 2019 is the year of freedom, that this is a year where people are going to be set free, that people are going to experience freedom, maybe for the first time, but also those that have experienced freedom in the past are going to experience new levels of freedom. I believe that God has more for us, and I just feel like that's the word for this year, and already January has been blowing up um, with freedom, with people experiencing freedom. So we had 41 people in January here at City Chapel say yes to Jesus, uh, about 15 of them for the first time, and then a bunch of others just rededicating their lives to Christ. And so I'm excited about the movement that I see, the freedom that I see coming uh, to this body of believers. And um, maybe it didn't happen to any of you, but today's your day. Today is your day. This is the day that you are going to get to taste a little bit of what God's been doing all around City Chapel. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to jump into it. But before I jump into it, I do have to give some context, uh, just in case you weren't here last Sunday. We've been preaching from a story in 2 Kings chapter 4, and uh, we've been talking about uh, this story where uh, there, there, was, there was a woman who, who wasn't able to bear a child um, because her husband was old. And so he was either unwilling he, or he was uh, unable to, for them to be able to conceive. And she wanted a child. That was her deepest heart's desire. And, and her generosity toward uh, the man of God, toward the prophet, really opened up the doors of the miraculous for her life. We talked about that last week, how that's what generosity can do. Generosity uh, can open up the doors for God to bless you when you're generous. And so that she was generous. She, she, she created a space in her home for the prophet to be able to rest and to lodge there. She fed him whenever he was in town. And one day he was, he was sitting on his couch. He was sitting on uh, there in his mini house. And he said, he said, what can I do to bless you? What can I do to help you? And she wanted a child so badly, but she didn't feel confident enough to, to even make that prayer request. Have you ever had a prayer request that you just, it was so close to the depths of your heart that you couldn't even spit it out sometimes. You didn't even dare ask for that. And, um, but the, but the, 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 the prophet, he had a servant and the servant said, man, she is without children and her husband is old. And so the prophet said, all right, this time next year, you will give birth to a child. You will embrace a child. And she was like, don't lie to me, you know, don't, 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 don't get my hopes up. And, and he said, no, truly, God's going to do this miraculous thing in your life. And it came to pass. Uh, she had a child and she had uh, the miraculous happen in her life. And, and what happened after that, though, is so interesting in the story that she has this miraculous child, but she, she, she really mismanaged 
her miracle. We talked about that last week, how, how uh, the title of the sermon was, you can go from a miracle to a mess when you mismanage your miracle. So what she did is she took the miracle that God had given her and she put it in the field uh, that he was never intended to be in. And this is where stress comes into our life. This is where brokenness comes into our life. This is where spiritual death actually comes into our life when we take a thing that God has done in our lives and then we try to put it into a man-made uh, system in order to maintain it. Well, it was mismanaged. Uh, he wasn't born to work in the field. He was born to be a blessing to his mom. And you and I have been born, I don't know if you know this or not, but to be a blessing to God. That's our purpose. We've been born to be a blessing to him and to others. That's, that's the only reason we exist. And whenever you try to, to force that person into this other structure, into this other system, whatever it may be, we always end up with spiritual death. We mismanage what God's done in our life, and it ends up dying. And that, that's what happened to this boy. He, he was out in the field during the harvest, the hottest time of the year, the biggest work day. And he said, Father, my head, my head. And by the way, he followed his father because he, he really didn't know his purpose. And so that's what happens to, to all of us when, when, when we don't really know our purpose. We'll just follow whoever happens to be around. And so he followed his dad into the field, but his dad couldn't help him in the field because his dad wasn't the one who, who empowered his birth. That was God. God alone knows your purpose for your life. And so uh, we look to other people, but man, this is always a mistake. And so he says, Father, my head, my head. And, and his father says, I don't know what to do with you. So take him back, carry him back to his mother. And he died on his mother's lap. And then his mother went and got the prophet, the one who had, who had told her, given her the word of God at the very beginning. And, and she said, look, you need to get back here and you need to do something about this. And so the prophet comes back. And this is what I, wanna, this is what I want to continue um, preaching on this particular story. But the main point of the story, uh, both the story that I'm preaching on and the small groups from this past week, the main point that I really hope that you got is to begin to understand your point of origin. Uh, that's, that's, that's the biggest key. When, whenever the, the child was dying in the field, his father said, look, you need to go back to where you came from. And when the mother had him and he actually died in her arms, she carried him and laid him on the bed, not the bed where he was conceived, like not his, not her bed and her husband's, but rather she laid him on the couch, the bed that the prophet had spoken the word of God over his life. And this is what is so important. You, you, you have to understand your point of origin. It's not the person who gave birth to you, as wonderful as that person may be. It's not your earthly father. Your earthly parents did not think you up, did not dream you up. You and I were designed by God, birthed because of his will, not the will of man. And this is also interesting because whenever you read uh, the Old Testament prophets, you have, to, you have to read it through the lens of history. And so you see that uh, here, in, here in 2 Kings, Elisha is performing this, this miracle, and it seems like just this kind of side story. And there's like three of those stories in, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 4. There's like, there's like these little side stories that it's like random. It's like, why, why are we learning about this kid? And why are we learning about this? There's a, there's, there's a, there's a boiling of a pot in the next story. Like, it's these little weird stories. But, but the, the truth is that this, this book wasn't originally written to you and me. It was written to the Israelites. And it, and it was supposed to be a, a picture or a, a, a prophetic story to the Israelites with regard to their national history. So what's happening during this time is very important to understand that in this time in history, you have 
kings of Israel that are doing whatever they want to do. They were birthed by God. They are very much like this child. The nation of Israel was not designed by the will of man, but by the will of God. God set it up. God willed for them to be a nation. And then God gave them prophets. And then God gave them kings. And now those kings have turned away from God. They are completely doing their own thing. They have gone out into the field of their neighbors. They're starting to act just like their neighbors. They've forgotten who they were made to be. And they've gone out into the field. They're acting like their neighbors. They're celebrating the same things their neighbors are celebrating. They're worshiping even some of the same gods that their neighbors are celebrating. And really, this is, this is a warning. This is a prophetic warning to the people of that day saying, hey, look, look, it's not going to end well for you. You, you weren't created to, to be like everybody else. You weren't created to follow everybody else. You were created for a specific purpose. And so God is trying to call back his, his son, Israel, his people, Israel, saying, look, I created you for a specific purpose. And until you, you get back to that purpose, you're never going to understand. Look, if, 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 you, if the enemy is able to lie to you and confuse you about your point of origin, he will be able to lie to you and confuse you about your destiny. If he can get you thrown off, if he can win the argument of where you started, he can mess with where you are able to go, where the potential for you is able to go. And so this past week, we shared a story in the small group called the parable of the acrobat. Um, and it's, and it's, a, it's, it's not a Bible parable. It's just uh, Bob, this guy named Bob. He created the parable. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a nice story because it helps us understand. It puts it in new language for us where we originated. Um, but Jesus also told a bit of a parable that's actually kind of similar to the acrobat parable. Jesus told a parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who had two sons. And one of them said, Father, I hate you. I hate your stinking guts. You make me vomit. You're scum between my toes. No, just kidding. That's uh, the little rascals. That's not the Bible. Uh, but basically, he said, look, I hate you. I want my inheritance. I'm leaving the house. And he takes off. And he is far away from the Father. Now, is he a Christian? Is he saved? No, he's separated from the Father. But is he still a son? Yes. Even while he's separated from the father, it does not change his DNA or his birthright. Now, now he's not going to heaven. He's not following the father. He's not in the father's house. He's separated. But you have to understand your point of origin to understand your potential. If you understand your point of origin, you understand that even when that guy, if anybody ever heard the story, you've heard the story about how they, he goes away to a far country, he loses all his money, and he ends up in a pig pen. He ends up feeding pigs and eating the slop from the pigs. And it's while he's there that, the, that Jesus said he came to himself. That's what salvation is. When you come to yourself, your real self, the self that God birthed, and he realizes, wait a minute, wait a minute, my father's house, people are treated, servants are treated better in my father's house. So he said, I will arise and go back to my father. This is what you, you will always go back to where you think you came from. And the enemy will try to lie to you and say you were born in a pig pen, you were, you were made for a pig pen, you'll never get beyond a pig pen. But, but Jesus is constantly telling us, you were not born in a pig pen, you were born in a palace. You were conceived not by the will of man, but by the, the will of God, by the heart of God, dreamt you up. And, and, even, and even in church sometimes we get this idea that, 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 that freedom is never truly possible because, well, you know, we, 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 uh, David said, I was born in, in sin. I was conceived in, in, in iniquity, right? And so we, we realize that there is a carnal nature inside of us, that there is this thing inside of us from our father, great, great, great grandfather, Adam, who, who messed it all up for us, that, that sin entered the world through and death through sin and then death passed on to all 
men because all have sinned. And that's true in Genesis chapter 3. It is true that mankind, you know, the theologians call it the fall. They, we, we, we departed from the Father's house. We left the Father. We went out to do our own thing. But you can't start, the Bible doesn't start at Genesis chapter 3. The Bible actually has a Genesis chapter 2 in it. And in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see that God reached down and formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed his spirit into man. He, the breath of God made us come to life. And then he placed his image on us. And he, then he, he, he told us to take dominion over the entire world, to be his representative on the earth. And then mankind was living in true righteousness and true holiness and fellowship with God. This is what you were made for. You were not made for the pig pen. I know it feels like you've been there forever. I know it feels natural to you. It's where your parents brought you up. It's, a, it's the stuff you've always been around. But, but maybe no one's ever told you. But Genesis chapter 2 tells us that, that sin is not our, our native language. It's not our, our true identity. We, we have been marred by it. We have been scarred by it. We have been messed up by it. And we are inclined toward it. But that does not change who we truly are, that we are the offspring, as, 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 as Paul said, we are the offspring of God. We have, we have come from him. And salvation is not finding this new place. It is going back to the place where we started, back to the garden. And I just want you to know that's possible. I want you to understand that that's something that God has for you. I believe, I believe with all my heart that whatever, I, I don't know what religion says. I don't know what the enemy says. I don't know what your own mind says. But it is possible because there was, there was, there was a second Adam named Jesus who came and lived a sinless life and had perfect communion with the Father and perfectly loved those around him. And he said, follow me. He said, walk in my footsteps. He said, do exactly as I am doing. And then he shed his blood in order to make it possible for us to do that. And so this is the scope. I want to I wanna broaden your scope by, by zooming in for just a minute on where you came from, on where your point of origin is, on who you call father. Because who you call father will always have the power to influence what you believe about you. And so to truly step into freedom, you have to first recognize your point of origin. It's not sin. It's not, uh, uh, where, it's not the family that you came from. It's not your grandparents. They didn't dream you up. They didn't even know you. You came out and they looked at you and said, what's this? Because they don't know you. They don't know what's inside of you. They don't know the gifts that are inside of you. They don't know the potential that's inside of you. They don't know why you were created because they didn't create you. God knit you together in your mother's stomach. God formed you. God has a purpose for you. And you never find it until you find your, you never find home until you find home with God. You'll never find rest until you find rest with God. And so salvation is really to make that realization and decide to go back home. But further freedom, as we talked about last week, freedom is not the absence of something. Freedom is not the absence of whatever thing you want to get rid of, whatever thing you feel like is binding you. But freedom is the presence of someone. It's the presence of Jesus. When Jesus, where the Scripture puts it this way, when the, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When you get into the Father's house, there is freedom. You understand who you are and you have freedom. And so many of the things we struggle with, we wouldn't struggle with them if we would stop struggling with them. <laughs> that sounds counterintuitive. But, but as long as you put this thing as the thing that's got to go, it becomes your focus. 
And I'm not saying that God doesn't want some things to go, because certainly he does. But the way to freedom is to stop focusing on what needs to go and start focusing on what needs to come. And that is the presence of God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Don't seek freedom from things first. Don't seek religious ritual first. Don't seek to feel good first. Seek the kingdom of God first, the rule and the reign of God. And as you seek his kingdom, his kingdom comes into your life and he defies every other king. He destroys every other king. A perfect example of this is when Jesus was on the earth. He was, uh, he, he was with his disciples, and he said, we have to go to the other side of this lake, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee. And so they sailed all night, and they got to the other side. And when they got to the other side, Mark, I think it's chapter 5, tells us that there was, that there was a guy um, that was there, and he was all by himself. He was out in the middle of the woods because he was possessed by demons. Demonic powers were possessing him, and they had driven him away from society, away from his friends, away from his family, which is exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to isolate you and get you alone and when they got him alone he began cutting himself because that's what the enemy wants you to do he wants you to, he wants to separate you he wants to isolate you and then he wants to destroy you and he can't destroy you himself so he has to employ you to destroy you but when you hate you it's very easy to destroy you Anyway, I don't know if any of you have ever been there, but he's out there. He's cutting himself. He's literally killing himself. And Jesus says we need to go to him to save him from the demons that are inside of him, causing him to destroy himself. That's called freedom. And when Jesus shows up on the other side, we don't want to have the scripture, but, but the Bible says that when he got off the boat and stepped onto the shore, that immediately, Mark loves to use that, use that word, immediately the demons inside of the man started crying out to Jesus saying have mercy on us don't destroy us before our, our, he started started negotiating <laughs> a surrender they started negotiating the terms of a surrender Jesus didn't say anything he didn't say hey, 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 hey he didn't say anything he just stepped out of the boat and basically when when God starts occupying a piece of land the demonic powers that are holding us captive, they sense the change of authority. They sense that someone greater than themselves is on this same property, and they know that they are about to be rejected, and so they start negotiating a surrender. He didn't even have to, he didn't have to like shake him and, and slap him on the forehead and get him to none of that. He just he just walked. When God comes into a heart, when his spirit moves into your spirit and he takes residence in your home, there are some things that are gonna start crying out and negotiating negotiating surrender that's what freedom is freedom is not trying to stop cutting ourselves and try to have you know try try to stop putting chains it's not trying better it's not learning to think better that's cognitive behavioral uh, therapy no that's not what it is it is the presence of God it's not a book it's not Oprah it's not Dr. Phil it's not Jordan Peterson it is the presence of God all those things are helpful I'm not saying they're bad but they will not they will not drive out the demons in your life they will domesticate them. <laughs> they will treat them to behave better. But you will still be tore up. You will still hate yourself. These things from inside are still inside. You might take the chains off of your wrist, but you still have conflict on the inside. And God, when God shows up, though, when his presence is in your life, he starts dealing with that stuff on the inside. And that's what happened in the story with, with, with the boy and Elisha. The woman calls Elisha and says, hey, you need to get over here and do something about my dead kid. 
and, 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 and Elisha comes. And so that's where I want to pick up. I want to finish the story um, today uh, and, because I didn't technically finish it last week. I stopped short um, because the last verse is really weird. And so I didn't, I don't, I, I didn't really understand it. And so the cool thing when, is, is when you're the one preaching, if you don't understand something, you can just, you can just skip it. You just, you, just don't, you just don't preach it. That's the a, that's a secret. Let's just let you guys in on a little preaching secret. If you ever get to preach, if you don't understand something, just, just pretend like it's not there. Just, uh, just uh, don't even put it up on the screen, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and, so, and so I left out, last week I left out the last verse. And the Lord is just like, has been just hammering me with this last verse. And so I can't, I can't sleep anymore until, until I preach this passage. So, so, so we're going to finish the story. Um, and I believe God has some things for us yet still in this story. So if we could put up, starting at verse 32, um, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 32, we're going to see, uh, I'll step off to the side here, but it says that when Elisha reached the house, um, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He was on Elisha's bed, on Elisha's couch. And, and verse 33 says, he went in and shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. This is the part that I focused on, verse 34. Then he got on the bed. Little, it's a little strange, but he gets on the bed and he lays on the dead boy. He lays on the cold, dead corpse. And he puts his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. Now, like I said, anytime you're reading these stories, you have to understand that God's trying to share a message with his people, Israel. And, and his people had been rejecting him, and his people were dying spiritually. They were still operating as a country, but, but, but the child inside of them was dead. The child of faith that God had birthed, the purpose that God had made them for was dead. And, and what, what, what the prophet does is exactly what God wanted to do with his people is put his hands on their hands, put his eyes on their eyes, and put his mouth on their mouth. And I believe it's what he wants to do with us today. I believe that's what he wants to do with each and every one of us. We, we, we have died because we have had... We have, we've been seeing our life through our own eyes. We've been talking about our own life through our own mouth. And we've been working our own life with our own hands. But you've got to have the presence of God. That when God can rest on you, that when his eyes can be on your eyes, when you can see yourself as he sees you. This is what Jesus, Jesus said. Uh, the two greatest commandments are love God with everything, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, that's in successive order. First, you love God with everything. Then he gives you his eyes. And then you see yourself the way he sees you. And because I believe you will always love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> we, and in fact, I think all of us are really good at loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're just awful at loving ourselves. We just hate ourselves so much. And the reason why we're so divided as a country is not because we hate other people. It's because we hate ourselves. We haven't been able to see ourselves through God's eyes. We haven't been able to love the way that he loves us. And so we have to try to make up stuff that we're worthy and, and we prop those up as big things. And then when other people challenge those things or knock those things, or those things come falling down, then we lash out in anger against people. But, but, but if we could see, if we could get a fresh vision for our life, the way that God sees us, the way that God sees our marriage, the way that God sees our future and our past. And if we could see, if we could get his eyes and if we could get his mouth and start, start confessing the word of God, start talking, stop talking so negatively about everything in our life and start, start talking his word over us. 
If we could start uh, allowing his hands to resurrect the work of our hands and, and get us back on track with what he created us to do. I'm telling you that, that then, when the, when the hands are on the hands, and then it was at that point, and so he had stretched them out. Uh, so he's, so he almost, he's almost like in the shape uh, of a cross. I don't, know, I don't know if that's prophetic about the people of Israel, but, but Jesus did come to his people, and he did you know, stand like this. And he, he was there to restore them. And he stretched out over the boy, and the body of the boy grew warm. And that's where, that's where I ended the service, because uh, that's, that's, that's powerful. The body of the boy grew warm. It was a gradual, it grew, it grew, it was gradual. It didn't, it didn't come on like a light switch. It, it slowly grew warm. And this is the miraculous taking place. God is raising this kid back to life. But in verse 35, it's interesting, it says, Elisha turned away. So we don't know how long he was laying on this kid. We don't know how long he was praying for him. It might have been 30 seconds. It might have been 30 minutes. It might have been all day. It might have been 12 hours that he had his eyes looking into the eyes of death and his mouth on the, and it's not a comfortable situation. He's praying for him. And then he starts to feel some warmth in him. And as soon as he feels warmth, it says Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room. Uh, he, started, he started pacing. So, all right, uh, cameraman, just going, just good, good luck with that. So he's, he's pacing back and forth. He's pacing. He's pacing. Now, for me, if I'm pacing, it's because I'm anxious. It's because I'm worried and I'm nervous. But I was reading one commentator who said back in, back in those days, in this culture, if you're pacing, it's not because you're worried. It's usually because you're so excited. You're anticipating something really good is about to happen. You're like, he, 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 he's been praying. He's been laying. But now, all of a sudden, like, he starts feeling warmth. He's like, man, this is awesome. Like, like this is this is awesome. And, and to me, the, uh, the prophet is, is really, is, he's a sign of the Holy Spirit. It's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. He comes and he rests on us and he begins to warm us with his spirit. But man, as soon as the temperature starts to rise, I feel like, I feel like God is just thrilled. I feel like he's at, on the edge of his seat for what he is doing in your life and in this church and in this city with new churches sprouting up all over the place, with evangelism happening all over the place, with God dealing with different heart issues and different things. I feel like God's just, like he's just, he's, he's just pacing. He's like, man, this is awesome. Like, like, like what's about to happen is so awesome. I have to take a break. Sometimes you got to take a halftime from your own life and just throw a little party for what God has done, that there's some movement. I know you're not where you want to be, but man, it's, I mean, the boy wasn't alive. He wasn't resurrected yet. But the prophet said, I, I feel a temperature shift here. Something's getting warmer, which means it's not at a surface level healing. It's at a, it's at a heart level. Like something's pumping that wasn't pumping before. Something, blood is flowing that wasn't flowing before. And before we finish the miracle, I just have to stop and just, and just be so excited to teach you to rejoice in the middle of the process. That God rejoices even when the product isn't finished yet. When he, when, when he sees something's getting better, he rejoices over that. You might want to try rejoicing when something gets better. If you can't, if you can't throw a, a party in the middle of the process, you're, you're not going to make it to the end of the product. Because it's hard, and it's long, and freedom, is, it takes a while, and it's a bit difficult, and there's a lot of bumps along the way. But you have to be able to say, wait a minute, I sense something. I feel something. I don't see it, but I feel it. I feel a temperature change. I feel a flow starting to happen. I feel something shaking and breaking and, 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 and creating. Something is happening 
in this thing that was dead and cold and lifeless, something's coming to pass here. And he's so excited about it. He starts pacing the room. But after he's done pacing, and we don't know how long he did that, but he goes and, and, and he lays back on the boy again, stretched out on him once more. And this is the last sentence of this verse, and this is the one that kind of weirds me out. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. So um, the title of my sermon today is The Seven Sneezes. <laughs> um, the it, it, verse weirds me out because I have, I, I have a hard time understanding what it means. Because in Scripture, typically to understand Scripture, you have to study the rest of Scripture to see what it's talking about. The problem is the word sneeze, it's only in one other verse in the Bible. And it's, it's in Job 41 where Leviathan is sneezing fire or something. It really doesn't mean anything. There's no symbolic uh, power when it comes to sneezing. Jesus never sneezed on anybody that we know of. You know, there was no sneezing here, you know, healing miracles, you know. Uh, there was just, like, it's, just, it's, such a, it's such a weird thing that it just kind of weirded me out. And so that's why I left it out. I was like, well, I don't want to preach on that because that's just weird. And I'm definitely not weird, so not doing that. And um, this week, I was, I was just praying about, I knew what God wanted me to share, but I just didn't know how God wanted me to share it. Um, and so I, so, I, so I always pray about, Lord, how can I communicate this? And um, uh, one night, I was, uh, I was laying in bed, and I, and I um, started sneezing. Now, I'm, I'm a, single, a single sneezer. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like a one-time sneezer. Uh, I don't know how you all are. My, my wife is, is at least two. When she sneezes, she always sneezes twice, sometimes three times. So it's like you don't even bother saying bless you on the first one because you're going to have to say bless you again right away. So you conserve your blessings a little bit and just give a bigger blessing at the end of the series of sneezes, you know. Uh, is there anybody, anybody, any multi-sneezers around here? Like you can't just, you guys are all wonderful. Um, I'm a single sneezer. I guess I, I guess I guess I just do it so well the first time that... Um, you know, it just, it just happens. It just works out. And so I, I don't ever sneeze like twice in a row unless like I'm really sick or something, allergies or something. But the other night, I didn't have any allergies, nothing going on. And I sneezed like a couple of three, two or three times in a row. And I'm like, wow, okay. Uh, but, and, then, and then 15 seconds later, I sneezed again. And then like 10 seconds later, I sneezed again. Like 30 seconds later, I sneezed again. And finally, Rose like, are you okay? Is everything going all right? I was like, I don't know. My, my nose isn't running. I'm just, and so then I, I remembered this story and I thought, man, if I stop sneezing at seven, then I know that I gotta, I gotta like, you know, and so I sure enough, seven times and I was done and my nose wasn't running. I was just done sneezing. So that's how I hear from the Lord, people. This is how I, this is, this is, this is how I, that's how I, uh, spiritual, spiritual. Yeah. So let's talk about that, shall we? Let's talk about that. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Uh, uh, yeah, that made me that night. I said, man, I need to go downstairs and read this passage again because I'm obviously missing something. Um, and I really do feel like as weird as the sneezing thing is and as gross as it is, um, this will be the grossest sermon you've probably ever heard. Um, yet it is. It's a part of the story. And it happens seven times. Anytime something happens seven times in the Bible, you just got to stop right there and say, wow, this is pretty significant. God's trying to say something. Remember, he's trying to say something to ancient Israel, but he's all, it also applies to us. He's trying to say something. And so seven 
sneezes in a row. Before the boy opened his eyes even once, he sneezed seven times. And I, and I feel like before you find the next level of freedom, you may have some warmth, and that's good. Celebrate that. But the next level of freedom is probably going to require some sneezing. <laughs> you're probably, you're probably going to have to sneeze a little bit. And I don't mean physically. Um, I mean, I mean, <clears throat> uh, I mean, uh, getting out some stuff. That's what, that's what uh, the dictionary says sneezing is. It's the function of sneezing is to expel mucus containing irritants from the nasal cavity. A sneeze or a sternutation uh, is a semi-autonomous convulsive expulsion. Try saying that five times real fast. Convulsive expulsion of air from the lungs through the nose and mouth, usually caused by foreign particles irritating the nasal passage. So this is, this is my sermon today. Uh, uh, expul uh, convulsive expulsion. Convulsive expulsion. There's got to be some convulsive expulsion in your life. Because, look, if you're ever going to breathe in the, the newness of the Spirit, the breath of the Spirit, if you're going if you're, if, if you're gonna live differently this time, the thing that killed you last time has got to get out of your system. There has to be some convulsive expulsion, some projectile expulsion of some stuff that's been blocking. See, God, you, you don't need to convulsively expulse things in order that God may love you anymore, in order that he may accept you anymore. No, you need to do that so that you can start breathing the breath of God in your life, so that you can experience what God has for you. When we come to God, when we, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but then there is something called cleansing of all unrighteousness, and this requires some, 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 some convulsive expulsion. Just, I, I, I finally got it down. I like it. It just requires some, some getting, like, like a chew. Like, it's just this massive, this massive, just, just rejection of something. And it's not even voluntary necessarily. You can, like, if you're driving, like, you can't keep driving and, and sneezing at the same time because it just, it takes over your entire body. You just, it's this, it's an involuntary, just, just projectile getting, getting some, some foreign particles. That's the key some foreign particles. That's what you need to understand. Sin is foreign to you. That's why I keep talking about your point of origin. Why does it keep going on about God being my, my point of origin? Because you need to understand that sin is a foreign object. It doesn't feel foreign because you've grown up around it. You've developed, you've developed a, a, a taste for it. It's, a, it's an acquired taste. You've developed a taste for uh, chocolate-covered poop. Which is what sin is. That's in First Harry chapter 7, verse 42. It's, you've developed a taste for it. It doesn't mean it's good for you, and it doesn't mean it's helping you. It's foreign to you. And there's some foreign things that I think God wants to, to expel from your life. He wants to get out of your life, not so that you can uh, be loved by him anymore, but so that you can breathe in the breath, the life-giving breath of God. There's some blockages in your head. It's all, it's all right here. All the blockages are right here.
And what God wants to do in your heart and in your life is start, start a sneezing fit, start a, 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 a rejection, a casting out of some things. And by the way, uh, with regard to 2 Kings, I believe that, 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 that it's interesting that he sneezed seven times because really there were seven major kings that were going to come after the king which was currently reigning. And after the end of that, there would be uh, uh, the people of, of, of Israel, which is the northern tribe, they would be carried away captives. God would start bringing his children away from the place where they were at and start uh, regenerating them, and then he would place them back in that place at, at a later date. I think there's some prophetic significance to the seven things. And as I look at those seven kings that had to come and then had to be pushed out, kicked out, rejected, there's some, there's some key things about them that, that I feel like we need to, to, to get some stuff out. We need to reject some things. We need to sneeze some things out. And, and, and also, if you're, if, if you're new to the church and if you've started getting close to God and, and, and you've realized that you've started sneezing a lot more, <laughs> I mean, literally, you should just see a doctor because there's probably something wrong. <laughs> but emotionally, you know, snots everywhere, slobbers going on, mucus is flying. Uh, relationally, uh, is, is a lot of stuff spewing out on other people. Not to get too graphic, but a lot of things. It's kind of messy. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel natural. It, it feels vulnerable. It feels like, it feels like you're, you're, you, can't, you can't control it and you'd like to keep it all in. Because, it, it, honestly, mucus is a lot better in than out. <laughs> it looks a lot better in. A, socially a lot more acceptable in than out. And, uh, but, man, when your emotions start spewing out, when your, when your, when your, when your heart starts, when, when, when God starts trying to dislodge some stuff that's been blocking your spirit, man, it's not always pretty. But you need to understand. I mean, obviously, go see a doctor if it's happening physically, but I'm kind of a spiritual doctor. So let me just tell you, like, that's a good thing. It's a good thing if you start involuntarily just spewing up stuff. I used to be, I used to be able to hide so much better. No, like, that's not a good thing. Hiding is not good. Getting this out, getting it out of your system, out of your head, it's clogging the channels that God wants to come to you in. And so it's not, it's not a matter of just learning how to sneeze better. It's a matter of allowing the, 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 the sneeze that's happening in your life to do its real work, to get the stuff out. And so some of the things that God had to get out of his people, first of all, um, when you look at those seven kings, I think three or four of them um, uh, were assassinated by another king. So, you know, uh, a lot of assassinations going on, a lot of murder going on. I think that's one of the things is the spirit of, of the assassin. God wants to get out of his church. He wants to get out of your life. Of course, we don't necessarily, you know, stab people in the back with spears anymore. It's more our words. You can't, you can't breathe in the breath of God when you are cutting people down. And that includes the people that you live with, your spouses, your kids, your parents. That includes, uh, you, cannot, you cannot worship God and, 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 and attack people at the same time. Because you're attacking of people, the, the violence towards each other. It's blocking the presence of God in your life. You're, you're lashing out. This is a spirit of an assassin. And honestly, sometimes we assassinate ourselves. It's character assassination. We tell ourselves we're not worthy. We tell ourselves we can't do it. We assassinate any time you try to shut down the purpose of God in your life or in somebody else's. 
That's what, that's what gossip is. It's trying, to, it's trying to let everybody else know that, that, man, this person's not really everything they're cracked up to be. And that's what slander is. That's what backbiting, that's where it comes from. It's a judgmental spirit that says, man, I would be better off in that position than you. And it's an assassin spirit. It, it comes, it sneaks from behind and, and, uh, and takes people out. We gotta, we gotta have an expulsion of backbiting, of slander, of, 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 a, of a mouth that, that, that is killing not just other people, but also ourselves, tearing ourselves down, breaking down what God's saying about us and rejecting that, instead saying what we want to have said about us. The, the other thing that, that was really present in the Kings was a significant amount of greed, a lot of greed. Uh, greed is one of those things, uh, it's, it's, it's hilarious. I've preached on greed a couple of times, and it's one of those things that, that nobody here struggles with. Like none of you, nobody. I've never met anybody who said, Pastor, I really, I, I really struggle with greed. It's one of the things that nobody struggles with, but everybody knows somebody who does. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, those CEOs uh, and, that, uh, and, that, and, and, and that pastor down in Houston and, uh, and so-and-so. Oh, yeah, I know a lot of people struggle with greed, boy. I know all kinds, but I definitely do not struggle. If I just had a little bit more, I would be good. <laughs> Really? Oh, no, no, yeah, you don't struggle with greed at all. It, it, greed, it grips the heart and it tells us that Jesus is not enough. Our family is not enough. The people that we have in our life, we need something else or somebody else. The stuff we have in our life, we need something else or somebody else. It, 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 it is the rejection of what God has done for us. Is That's not enough. I need more. I need to make more. I need to spend more. I need to earn more. This this constant and it, what it does is it stops generosity in our life because I can't I can't give to the homeless guy because then I won't have enough I can't give to the church because I won't have enough I can't open up my home and let somebody stay in my home because then well it might mess up what I have going on and and we're always trying to guard what we have and save what we have and stockpile what we have it's called greed it's a me first mentality I have toddlers so or I had toddlers so I know exactly what this is all about uh, and still I have a seven-year-old who wants to be the first in the bath and wants to be the first to sit next to mom at dinner and wants to be it's it's it's, it's a it's a what about me mentality what am I getting out of this how does this benefit me how is this going to help me and you can even go to church and be like well how do I like the worship how do I like gospel Sunday how do I like uh, the preaching? How do I like the programs? How, how does this, what does this say about me? How does this benefit me? That's, 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 that's greed, and it's got to get out of our system. Because you cannot, you cannot seek first the kingdom of Harry and the kingdom of God at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Of course, none of you even care about the kingdom of Harry, but that's one that I sort of like, you know what I'm saying? And so I can't do that. And you cannot seek the kingdom of yourself at the same time you're seeking God's kingdom because those two are going to clash. God's going to ask you to do something that totally shuts down the kingdom of thingdom, the kingdom of stuff, the kingdom of more. Shuts it down. It's sneezing is going to remove that and get it out of our life. The spirit of anger has got to go. Spirit of outburst of anger, the spirit of, of conflict, spirit of always having to have a, a us versus them. And always, the anger comes from someplace. See, this is the thing. God, the stuff that, the stuff that sneezing produces, spiritual sneezing, it doesn't, exp, it doesn't get stuff out like behavior necessarily. It gets out attitudes. It's not so much actions, it's attitudes. It's stuff that's lodged up in there that you can't see, but it's blocking. 
You can't, uh, you, you, can't, you can't measure and quantify, but it's stopping. You can't necessarily, it's not visible, but it's present. And it's this, this, this underground frustration and irritation. This un, unhappiness with, with everything. It's anger that lashes out at other people. It's got to go. God wants to remove that from our hearts. And, and while we're at it, self-righteousness has got to go. A lot of times we don't get free because we believe that we are free enough. But can I just say, 90% free is not free. See, this is, this is the problem when preaching about freedom to religious people is we've, we've come to believe that there are different levels and it's like, oh, hey, look at the level I'm at. Check it out. I am somewhat free. I'm, so, I'm, I'm, so, I'm doing so good. Somewhat free is not free. Somewhat free is actually just, it's just another level of bondage. Now, I mean, rejoice in the progress, but understand that God has absolute freedom for you. And when you are struggling with self-righteousness, the need to defend yourself, the need to make people think well of you, that's because you have something inside of you that's telling you that everything's really not okay. You're arguing with that thing by defending yourself. You're arguing with that thing saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but this is what I really meant, you know? Well, well, this is what I meant. This is, this is where I was coming from. You just need to see my side of it. We, try, we strive to defend ourselves because we really believe that we're kind of guilty. Like 50%, 25% maybe, but kind of guilty. And when, when, we, when, when the presence of God comes into our life, he starts getting out this need to defend ourselves. He starts getting out this need to always be right and always have people think well of us because... We know that he thinks well of us. And when he approves of us, when he thinks well of us, then we can think well of ourselves, regardless of what anybody else thinks of us. And so we, we reject self-righteousness. We reject self-pity. Self-pity has got has to get projectiled out of the passages of your brain. This, 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 this belief that, man, things are, are harder for you than for other people. This belief that you've had the short end of the stick. This belief, because what happens is it starts off as somebody who struggles with self-righteousness and self-pity. Uh, it starts off as, 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 as a, uh, you know, a woe is me pity party, but it goes into a where is God pity party. You start off saying woe is me, and then you say where is God? Because, I mean, after all, if things are a lot worse for you and if you've really been treated so awfully, I mean, certainly the one who's in charge of everything has something to do with it. And where was he when these things happened to me? Where was he when I felt these things? And what, what's going on? And self-pity blocks. It blocks the, the embrace that God wants to give you. He, it blocks the comfort that God wants to give you. You know where God was when all those things happened? He was right there with you ready to embrace you, ready to hold your hand, ready to speak words of affirmation to you, ready to, to tell you about his love, ready to welcome you home. As soon as you step out of the pig pen, he jumps off the front porch of heaven and comes racing toward you. This is the heart of God. Where is he? He's watching the horizon. That's where he is. He's waiting for you to take a step to him. And then finally, we need to get rid of darkness. We need to sneeze out some some darkness. Uh, here, here in the here in the church, Pete's got a button back there uh, on, on the light board called blackout button. And uh, when he when he hits the blackout button, um, all the lights just uh, just completely die, except for a couple here on the stage. And and I 
and, and I ask him just to turn off the lights so that you could get a visual representation of what it is, um, where it is that we're living. We're living in a dark world. We're living in a dark society. We're living in darkness. Jesus said men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And there's a passage I want to I wanna close with this. It's in 1 John chapter 1, one of my favorite books of the Bible. It says, this is the message we've heard from him, from Jesus. And we declare to you, this is the message, that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. That's why 90% freedom is not freedom. Because when you are truly with God, when you are truly in his presence, his light drives out all darkness. In him is no darkness at all. In the, in, in the original language, it means no, not one single bit, never none. It's so emphatic. If we, if we claim, verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with Jesus and yet walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not live out the truth. Notice, he's not saying that we don't believe the truth with our mind. He doesn't say that we, we, we have bad doctrine. No, he's saying we're not living what we know. We're not living out the truth. But, verse 7 is the hope, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, right? us and God and us and others, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This is... This is what it means to walk in the light. The, the light is basically the absence of darkness. It is the driving out of darkness. And darkness is the absence of light. And men love darkness. Darkness is not necessarily um, always bad actions. It is what is hidden. If you look at some of these dark corners of the room, you know, it's a great place for hide and seek in the darkness because, because you, can't, you can't see what is hidden. And that's why we love darkness because we can still appear to be okay, but you just can't see stuff. What it means to walk in the light then is not to do every, make every right decision. It means to step into God's light, to get so close to God that His light is shining on you and you remove all darkness. You remove all hiding. It is to live in repentance. It is to live... See, some people think that perfection means never having to say, you're sorry. Never having to repent, but that's not true. To live in the light is to live in repentance. To allow the light of God to, to illuminate you. To be vulnerable before God. And I know we hate that word. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a horrible word in our culture. That means you're weak. That means you're broken. That means, that, means, that means there's something wrong with you if you're vulnerable. Because we love darkness. We love to pretend like everything's okay. We love to pretend like, oh yeah, everything's good. We, we don't have a, a problem. Other people may have problems, but we don't have problems. We like, we like the dark. We like to hide in that. But to come into the light, to step into the light, is to, is to get close to God and to allow His light to shine and be vulnerable with him and with others. Basically say, I need God. I need you. So would you bow your heads and just pray with me for just a minute? I would like to just spend a moment just inviting the light of life as Jesus into our homes, into our hearts, into our minds. I don't know where you're at right now, but I'd just like to pray for you. Father, I pray for each, each one of these, 
these people here that have joined us for worship. We come from all different backgrounds and different things. Some of us are just, we, darkness is just what we're used to. That's where we, we think that's native to us. We're so used to it. We never stepped into the light. Lord, would you begin to shine? Would, would, you, be, would you begin to warm the, the dreams and the visions and the, the plans that you have for us? Would you begin to, to resurrect those things slowly? Begin to let the blood of your son flow into those places. Begin to let the light begin to shine. And as the light shines on us, we are completely vulnerable before you, but also we we choose to, to walk in that light, to stay in that light, to not run from it, to not try to evade it and 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 and, and avoid it, but but to stay in the place of, of revelation, to stay in the place of vulnerability with before you. And to allow you, as you see stuff, to reveal stuff and remove stuff. And it is here that the blood of Jesus cleanses us. The blood of Jesus, not our own efforts, not our own actions, but the blood of Jesus. When things are revealed, then things can be cleansed and washed. And so we welcome the flashlight of the Holy Spirit to to shine down on us and all of our weaknesses and all of our brokenness. You can cleanse us. You can deal. Lord, some of us are uh, from religious backgrounds. We've heard every sermon, know every Bible story. Uh, we believe, we've, we've almost put limits on the scope of what you can do. Lord, forgive us for limiting the blood of Jesus. Death is, is, uh, is great. We get to go to heaven. But Lord, before that, you have so much for us. While we're here on this earth, you have so much more for us than walking in darkness, stumbling around, trying to do the best we can. There's more than the best we can. There is the power of God unto salvation. There is the expulsion of some of these things that are blocking your presence. So we welcome the sneezing, <laughs> the spiritual sneezing of the Holy Spirit. We welcome the whatever process you need to do to get this stuff out. God, we want, we want freedom. We want to breathe in deeply the oxygen of our soul, which is God himself. Would you come breathe on us, Lord? Come speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen.